Let's take our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. Now in Matthew, Jesus' third recorded sermon is called the Sermon about the Kingdom. This sermon is unique from the first two because it is entirely composed of parables. The term parable, from the Greek term parabole, translates the Hebrew term mashal, referring to a proverb, riddle, secret, illustration, or similitude. Parables are stories of literal and figurative components meant to communicate spiritual and ethical truths. Hence, a parable takes something from the earthly realm and uses it figuratively to represent something in the spiritual realm to reveal God's nature, kingdom, and will. Jesus explains his purpose in using parables in Matthew 13, verse 11. He says, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. In other words, Jesus taught in parables to reveal mysteries or hidden divine truths to his disciples, and at the same time to prohibit those who rejected him from understanding those same truths. You see, only the regenerated are equipped through the Holy Spirit to interpret the parables and the associated mysteries. Now, speaking of mysteries, the term mysteries, mysterion, refer to open sacred secrets. The mysteries are sacred because they contain God's wisdom about his kingdom and will. The mysteries are secret because God has hidden them since before the world's creation. The mysteries are opened or explained to those whom God deems to reveal them. Now, there are 13 different mysteries revealed in the New Testament. And the particular mystery that Jesus makes known in Matthew 13 is the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is the sphere of his eternal rule. However, this kingdom of God, or kingdom of heaven, exists in several manifestations. There's a universal manifestation, a physical manifestation, and a spiritual manifestation. Only individuals who have repented of their sin and placed their faith or belief in the gospel are part of that spiritual kingdom. And those who are part of that spiritual kingdom will inherit the physical kingdom. Now, during his first advent, Jesus offered to establish the physical aspect of his kingdom. But Israel rejected that offer. In response, the physical offer of the kingdom was withdrawn until Jesus' second advent. And when Jesus returns, after the tribulation period, he will physically establish God's kingdom on earth. Now, nothing in the Hebrew Scriptures prepared the disciples for what would happen now that Jesus withdrew the offer to establish his kingdom on earth. The disciples did not understand the spiritual aspect of the kingdom. They wondered what will become of Israel. And the concept of a new group known as the church was utterly foreign to them. All these things and more were mysteries. And hence, in the Sermon about the Kingdom, Jesus provides eight parables to reveal the mysteries of God's kingdom. Again, the mysteries of God's kingdom are previously unrevealed in Scripture. The foremost mystery of the kingdom is that it is not only physical, 
but spiritual as well. And that spiritual kingdom is still at hand. Jesus' third recorded sermon, found here in Matthew 13, can be divided into four phases. In phase one, Jesus presents the inauguration of the kingdom. Phase one, the inauguration of the kingdom. Though the physical kingdom is withdrawn, the spiritual kingdom is still being inaugurated. And the theme of phase one is planting, which is conveyed in the parables of the sower and the soils and the wheat and the tares. Seeds are planted, wheat is planted, weeds are planted. So phase one, the inauguration of the kingdom, and the theme is planting. We have two parables, the sower and the soils, the wheat and the weeds. In phase two, Jesus presents the opposition to the kingdom, the opposition to the kingdom. You see, the spiritual kingdom will not be without its enemies from both within and without. The theme of phase two is growth, growth, as conveyed in the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. And despite opposition, the kingdom will grow from an insignificant few into a worldwide mass of people. In phase three, Jesus presents the people of the kingdom, the people of the kingdom. The spiritual kingdom will be composed of two groups, Israel and the church. And the theme of phase three is one of value, value, as conveyed in the parables of the hidden treasure and the costly pearl. Both the treasure and the pearl have great value. The treasure represents Israel. Though currently hidden, it is still valued by the king. The pearl represents the church, which was purchased at a great price. In phase four, Jesus presents the judgment of the kingdom, the judgment of the kingdom. And the spiritual kingdom, at this point, will merge into the physical kingdom. However, their merger will come with judgment. The theme of phase four is one of responsibility, responsibility, as conveyed in the parables of the dragnet and the steward. So again, phase one, the inauguration of the kingdom. Theme is planting. The sower in the soils, the wheat in the tares. Phase two, the opposition of the kingdom. Theme, growth. The mustard seed and the leaven are the two parables. Phase three, the people of the kingdom. The theme is value. We have the hidden treasure, Israel, and the costly pearl, the church. And then phase four, the judgment of the kingdom. Again, the theme is responsibility. And we have two parables, the dragnet and the steward. Now, from the start, Jesus confirms that he is still inaugurating his kingdom, albeit for the time, only in spiritual form. However, the spiritual form is no less authentic than its physical form. The kingdom still has a king and citizens over whom the king reigns. Jesus now sets forth the sower, the soil, and the kingdom in Matthew 13, 3b-9, and 18-23 to demonstrate how one is inaugurated into the spiritual aspect of God's kingdom. Again, we have the sower, the soil, and the kingdom. Matthew 13, 3b-9, and 18 to 23. Now Matthew 13, 3b-9 sets forth the presentation of the sower and the soil's parable. Let's read Matthew 13, 3b-9. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, 
and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. Others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Again, we have the presentation of the sower and soil's parable. Now, Jesus begins with the interjection, Behold, adieu. He's calling us, he's calling the crowd to attention and admonishes us to listen. He then says, The sower went out to sow. Without introduction, Jesus explains the present form of the kingdom, and he does so by drawing a word picture from agriculture. The picture of a sower sowing seeds was a scene many Galileans were accustomed to seeing. The sower or the farmer went out into his field to sow seed. In the first century AD, plowing and sowing coincided in Mediterranean culture. A donkey would carry a bucket filled with seed, from which the farmer would cast seed upon the fields. A team of oxen or donkeys would follow behind, pulling a plow to cover the scattered seed into the soil. Interestingly, 30 pounds of seed covered roughly a half acre of land. Now, I want to give you something here, a piece of information, that while isn't necessarily important for this parable, it will be important in the next one. Barley and wheat seeds were sown during the month of Kislev, November, December. So the fact that the sower is sowing seeds implies that it's happening in the month of Kislev, or November, December. Now the barley would be harvested in Nisan, or, or March or April, in time for the Feast of Passover, Unleavened Bread, and First Fruits. The wheat was harvested in Savan, our May-June, in time for the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost. And again, understanding the sowing and harvesting of seeds is an important fact that's going to play a part in interpreting the parable of the wheat and the weeds. So as the farmer cast the seed, some seed fell beside the road. Now the road, hodas, refers to the paths that ran around the fields. As the seed was cast, some fell along these pathways. And these paths were treated with lime to keep them dry and compact or hard. There was no chance of this seed ever taking root in this soil. Laying along the roadside, the birds came and ate them up. Next, some seeds fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil. Now, the rocky areas were shelves of limestone rock covered over with a few inches of soil. The sun warmed a thin layer of dirt so that immediately the seed sprang up. In other words, it germinated and quickly sprouted because there was no depth of soil. However, as soon as the sun had risen, the seedlings were scorched because they had no root and they withered away. You see, the limestone shelves cut the roots off from water and the plant would wither from lack of moisture. Some seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked them out. Now, thorns, acantha, refers to any prickly plant or thistle. Now, in the region of Galilee, one type of thistle grows to a height of three feet by the month of Nisan, March, April. This thistle often grows in the field 
because the farm laborers cut them down instead of tearing them up by the root. Other seeds fell on the good soil and yielded a crop. The seed sown in the good ground produced such an extreme harvest that some fields produced fruit of a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now remember, parables use hyperbole or exaggeration to make a point. And Jesus was undoubtedly using exaggeration here regarding the fruit produced by the seed. Depending upon the climate and soil, typical fruit yields range from fivefold to fifteenfold. The average Galilean harvest would have yielded seven and a half to ten times the seed sown. A harvest producing thirty to a hundred times the amount of seed sown is extreme. Now, it should be noted, however, that while a hundredfold is rare, it's not unprecedented. Back in Genesis 26, verse 12, we see that Yahweh's hand of blessing was upon Isaac, so that when he sowed in the land of Philistia, he reaped in the same year a hundredfold because Yahweh blessed him. Isaac's great harvest was not average, but directly resulted from God's blessing. His harvest was so unusual that in Genesis 26, 14, it reveals that the Philistines envied him. So Jesus here is implying that the farmer's great harvest was because of God's blessing. Jesus ends this first parable by declaring, He who has ears, let him hear. Now he's not referring to physical ears, but spiritual ears. Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, 9 to 10 in verse 14 and 15 to explain that while everybody has physical ears, not everyone has spiritual ears. Do you have spiritual ears? If you have spiritual ears, that means you are listening to Jesus' teaching and obeying it. If you lack spiritual ears, it's because you've chosen not to listen at all. And so Jesus' statement can be rendered this way. He who has spiritual ears. To those equipped with spiritual ears, Jesus commands you, let him hear. And the imperative verb here, akuo, means listen and obey, or listen and respond. Now let's move forward to verse 18. Matthew 13, 18 to 23, sets forth the interpretation of the sower and soil parable. The interpretation of the sower and soil's parable. Matthew 13, 18 to 23. Let's begin reading with verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Again, we have the interpretation of the sower and soil's parable. Now let's remember that these parables are meant to reveal the mysteries of the kingdom. Specifically, they are revealing the present spiritual aspect of the kingdom. And Jesus says, Hear then the parable of the sower. 
Again, the verb here, akuo, is imperative and means to listen and respond or listen and obey. Of course, as Jesus has already made plain, only those with spiritual ears will be able to listen and comprehend what he is saying. Those with spiritual ears are regenerated and ready to listen to Jesus. Is that you? Do you have spiritual ears? Are you regenerated? Have you repented of your sins? Have you placed your faith in the gospel message? Because the unregenerate are unable to perceive spiritual things. Why? Because they lack spiritual ears with which to hear. Now, again, let's underscore the fact that the unregenerate have chosen for themselves not to hear. Again, quoting Isaiah 6, 9 to 10, in Matthew 13, 14 to 15, Jesus revealed that the unregenerate willingly choose to close their eyes and ears and harden their hearts. I pray that does not refer to you. Now, notice this parable has one sower, one seed, and four different soil types. Now, Jesus does not reveal who the sower is. However, the seed is identified in verse 19 as the word of the kingdom. What is the word of the kingdom? The Greek term for word is logos, meaning message. Matthew 4.15 says, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The verb say, there in Matthew 4.15, renders the Greek verb lego to express a message. Mark 1.14 and 15 says, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In Mark 1.15, the verb saying also means to express a message. Hence, the word of the kingdom is the message Jesus declared, repent and believe the gospel. In the corollary passage of Luke 8.11, the text reads, The seed is the word of God. The term word here is logos, meaning message. The phrase word of God in this context does not refer to the whole of Scripture. Instead, the Word of God specifically refers to God's message to humanity, the gospel. In John 6, 63, Jesus says, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. In other words, the Word of the kingdom, i.e. the Word of God, i.e. the gospel, is what imparts spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. Peter declares, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. 1 Peter 1.23 Now by identifying the message, it also then reveals the sower. Initially, the sower was Jesus himself. He went forth preaching the gospel message to repent and believe. Soon afterwards, though, he appointed his disciples to spread the same message. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. In spreading that message, they were to produce more disciples who would continue to do the same. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Indeed, Paul did just that, as he says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Now significantly, there are four types of soil mentioned in the parable. In the scriptures, four is significant because it often refers to the four corners of the world. Isaiah prophesied that following the tribulation, the Messiah will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth, Isaiah eleven twelve. Ezekiel prophesied judgment against the Gentile nations at the end of the tribulation. He said in Ezekiel 7, 2, the end is coming on the four corners of the land. 
The phrase four corners of the earth or four corners of the land is an idiomatic way of expressing north, south, east, west. The idea then of the four corners encompasses the whole world. That there are four soils implies that the seed will be spread to the world's four corners, to the north, the south, the east, and the west. The global spread of the seed, the word of the kingdom, is what Jesus commissioned his disciples to do. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples of all the nations. Again, Mark 16, 15, and Matthew 28, 19. While the kingdom is in its spiritual state, the gospel is to be sown or scattered throughout the world. Hence, all of us disciples, all of us Christians, are to be sowers. Now, in the parable, again, the sower and the seed remain the same. It is the soil that changes. The soil's condition dictates the soil's response to the seed. And it is critical for you and I to understand this fact. If the seed does not germinate, grow, or last, it is not the seed that failed, nor the sower. The failure is in the soil. Everyone in whom the gospel does not take hold is not a failure on the part of the individual preaching the gospel, nor upon the gospel itself. The failure is on the part of the individual receiving the gospel. So Jesus presents four soils, which represent four different types of hearts and responses to the gospel. We'll see the hard soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. Now Jesus first explains the meaning of the seed that was sown beside the road, the hard soil. Remember, these paths are, were treated with lime and as such are hard and compact. As a result, the seed only lies on the surface. The hard path refers to the individuals who hear the word, logos, of the kingdom and does not understand it. Again, the verb hears, akuo, means to listen in order to respond. Understand, sunemi, means to perceive or comprehend. Remember back in verse 13, Jesus said, Because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In other words, though they can physically see and hear, they do not comprehend or perceive spiritual truths. And the reason they don't comprehend God's word is not because God's word is too difficult to understand. Instead, it is due to a problem on their part. Back in verse 14, quoting Isaiah, Jesus says, Their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. In other words, people do not comprehend the word of God. They don't comprehend the word of the kingdom. They don't comprehend the gospel because they intentionally close their eyes and ears to what God says and does. Again, it is not that these individuals are incapable of understanding. They choose not to understand it. You see, they hear what Jesus says, but refuse to accept, believe, or obey it. Matthew 21, 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood he was speaking about them. Despite hearing and understanding the parable, they failed to obey. Instead, according to Matthew 21, verse 46, they sought to seize him. In the parable, notice that the seed that fell along the paths was eaten by the birds. Jesus explains that the birds here are a picture of Satan. He explains the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That the seed was sown in the heart confirms that the soil represents the heart. Now remember back in verse 12, Jesus says, Whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. 
Whoever does not have refers to those who have not listened to Jesus, but rejected him. And the message of the gospel will be taken from them. That is, they will come to a place where they will no longer have the opportunity to repent of their sins and believe the gospel. Now, it is revealed in the parable of the sower and the soils that it is Satan who snatches away, harpazo, or takes away the gospel from them. That is, God appoints Satan to the task of removing the gospel from those who willfully reject it. Now, this brings up an interesting question. Can the gospel be rejected and, by extension, God's grace be resisted? The answer is yes. The gospel can be rejected and God's grace can be resisted. In Matthew 23, 37, lamenting over Jerusalem, Jesus says, How often I wanted to gather your children together, and you were unwilling. In John 5, 40, confronting the Pharisees, Jesus says, You are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. In both passages, the verb, you were unwilling, and you were unwilling, translates thalo with the negative u. Thalo means to express a desire or wish. When thalo is attached to a negative, it means not wanting or despising. Hence, they did not want what Jesus offered. More to the point, they willfully despised what they offered. If God's grace is irresistible, how can these people express a desire to reject Christ's gospel message? Their response to Jesus' offer demonstrates that they resisted God's grace and rejected the gospel. Indeed, the gospel will spread during this present aspect of God's kingdom. But many whose hearts are hard, will outright reject it. Next, Jesus explains the meaning of the seed that was sown on the rocky places, or the rocky soil. Because the soil is rocky, there's not much soil. And as a result, while the seed germinates, its roots are shallow, so that under the heat of the sun, the seedling withers and disappears. Now, the rocky soil represents the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. This individual appears to believe the gospel joyfully. But sadly, their faith is not genuine. The seed is never actually rooted in their life. The parable goes on that when the sun has risen, the seeds were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Jesus explains here that the sun typifies affliction or persecution. Affliction, the lipsis, refers to oppression, troubles, or adversity. Persecution, diagmas, is some form of hostility, forcing someone to renounce their beliefs. Now, notice that this affliction or persecution arises because of the word. Again, word is the word of the kingdom, the gospel. Because the seed, the gospel, has no firm root, that is, no genuine faith, such an individual falls away when oppression, troubles, adversity, or hostility arises due to the gospel. The verb falls away, scandalizo, from which the English term scandal is derived, means to give up believing what is true, to believe what is false. You see, they made a profession of faith, but they never possessed that faith. Such individuals were baptized, they attend church, they even serve in the church. Maybe this describes some of you. Maybe your faith isn't genuine. You see, when hardship or difficulty arises, such ones fall away from the truth. Did they lose their salvation? No, they didn't lose it. Instead, they never possessed it in the first place. Genuine faith is rooted in the gospel, and stands firm in the face of hardships and difficulties. If you're not standing firm in the face of hardships and difficulty to the word of God, to the gospel, then you need to ask yourself, is your faith genuine? 
Paul explains in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Genuine believer, you can expect opposition, oppression, trouble, adversity, and hostility because you live a changed life. But you do not need to fear those things. Peter says in 1 Peter 5.10, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God uses affliction and persecution to separate genuine believers from those who are false. Indeed, during this present aspect of God's kingdom, some will appear to accept the gospel, but ultimately re will reject it in the face of oppression and hostility. Jesus goes on to explain now the meaning of the seed that was sown among the thorns, the thorny soil. Though the soil appears promising, it's unfortunately not ideal for growth. As stated, instead of tearing up the thorny plants or thistles, the farm laborers cut them down and plow them back into the ground. In turn, just as a seed began to germinate and sprout, so do the thistles. Jesus explains that the thistles are the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth. Now that verb worry, meramina, refers to cares or concerns. These cares are attached to the term world, aeon, or age. The cares of the age then refer to worldly pleasures. The deceitfulness of wealth refers to the false security of possessions, otherwise known as materialism. And listen, Jesus says that this person hears the word, the word of the kingdom, the gospel. That he hears, akuo, implies that he listened and responded to the gospel. There is a profession of faith. But notice here this profession of faith is without repentance. Notice that this individual is still wrapped up in worldly pleasures and materialism. He never repented of th these sins. In other words, he did not confess or forsake worldly pleasures and materialism. Instead of confessing and forsaking these sins, he allowed them to choke the word. The verb choke, sumpnigo, means to suffocate or inhibit growth. Folks, a seed cannot germinate without oxygen. And so too the word, i.e. the gospel, cannot germinate, cannot take root when suffocated by worldly pleasures and materialism. John warns in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Indeed, during this present aspect of God's kingdom, some will profess faith in the gospel, but have never genuinely repented of their sin. And sadly, these individuals often go through life deceived, believing themselves to be saved when they indeed are not. Does that describe you, perhaps? I pray it doesn't. Now, that is not to say that genuine Christians don't struggle. Listen, all genuine Christians are going to struggle with sin or weeds in their lives. For example, maybe you are refusing to commit to the church. Maybe you don't regularly attend the church. Maybe you're not serving the Lord. Guess what? You've got weeds in your life. You have become preoccupied with other things more than the things of the Lord, such as worship, corporate prayer, serving, and fellowship. The things you, they, that you have become preoccupied with may not in themselves be sinful. But when they are prioritized over God, they have become idols and as such are sinful. Now, genuine believers possess the Holy Spirit. So they will fight against sin. You will pull it. If you're genuinely possessed by the Holy Spirit, you will pull out those weeds and you will ultimately overcome sin. 
But if you're not fighting and forsaking your sin, if you're never pulling out the weeds, friend, you don't possess the Holy Spirit. And the proof that you lack the Holy Spirit is underscored by Jesus' statement that the seed becomes unfruitful. That verb, unfruitful, akapars, means that the plant either did not produce fruit or it produced rotten fruit. Now, previously in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles. Matthew seven sixteen. And since the seed is the gospel, the verb unfruitful does not mean the gospel produced rotten fruit. Instead, worldly pleasures and materialism prohibited the seed from producing fruit. Jesus states in John 15, 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Regardless of your profession of faith, if you've never borne fruit, you will be cut off from the vine. Unfruitfulness implies that you do not abide in Christ. That is, you do not have an actual relationship with him. And as such, Jesus says in John 15, 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch, dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the lake of fire, and they are burned. Friend, if your profession is fruitless, you will be cast into the lake of fire. Jesus finally explains the meaning of the seed that was sown on the good soil. The good soil. The term good, kalas, depicts the soil as healthy, desirable, suitable for farming. The good soil depicts a healthy heart in contrast to the hard heart that is thick and fatty. This healthy heart is suitable for planting the gospel. This individual hears the word and understands it. Again, the verb hears, akuo, implies the idea of listening and, and responding or obeying something. The word logos still refers to the word of the kingdom or the gospel. Unlike the heart, which is like hard soil and rejects the gospel, the heart that is like good soil accepts the gospel. More so, he understands sunami or comprehends it. Because he comprehends the gospel, he knows that the gospel brings hardships and hostilities and is prepared to stand firm in the gospel, unlike the person whose heart is rocky. Additionally, because he comprehends the gospel, he knows that sin must be confessed and forsaken, unlike the person whose heart is thorny. The seed planted in good soil describes the heart of those who genuinely repent of their sin and believe the gospel. If you've genuinely repented of your sin and placed your faith in the gospel, then you have good soil. And the evidence of the genuineness of your faith and, and repentance is demonstrated by the fact that the seed is not only planted, but it bears fruit. That is, there will be fruit production. And that there is fruit production implies maturity. The seed has not been snatched away, withered away, or choked out. Instead, it has germinated, taken root, and grown and produced fruit. Psalm 1-3 states, He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The first fruit that a genuine believer produces is the fruit of repentance. Matthew 3-8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. A genuine believer's second fruit is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5-22-23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In other words, it's developing a Christian character. Now, in order to produce the fruit of the Spirit, however, you'd have to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. We also have righteous living or obedience to God's law, another fruit, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. Another fruit, a life of good works, Colossians 1.10a, 
bearing fruit in every good work. Another fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God. Colossians 1.10b, bear fruit by increasing in the knowledge of God. Evangelizing and discipling are another fruit. Romans 1, 9, 11, and 13, In the preaching of the gospel, I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Giving praise to God is another fruit. Hebrews 13, 15, Offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips. And also giving of your resources to God's work is another type of fruit. Romans 15, 28, For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, I have put my seal on this fruit of theirs. You know, it's interesting. Just as there is a threefold rejection of the seed, it was snatched away, withered away, and choked out. There is a threefold harvest produced by seed in good soil. Jesus says the seed in the good soil brings forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Those numbers represent yields of ten thousand percent, six thousand percent, and three thousand percent. Such yields are extraordinary in light of typical yields ranging from sevenfold to tenfold, or 700 to 1,000 percent. Well, every seed in good soil produces fruit. Now listen, not every seed in good soil produces the same amount of fruit. Fruit production varies according to the degree of maturity. Nonetheless, even those bearing less fruit, the 3,000 or the 30, still bear an abundance of fruit. And the abundance of fruit from the good soil, makes the failures of the other three soils pale in comparison. Indeed, during this present aspect of God's kingdom, some will genuinely repent of their sins, believe the gospel, and produce fruit or good works. The parable of the sower and the soils reveals the inauguration of the spiritual aspect of the kingdom. Every one of us, friends, are to be sowers spreading the gospel far and wide upon the soil of humanity's heart. All four soils represent four different hearts of individuals in this present age. The hard soil, the unresponsive heart, those who outright reject the gospel. The rocky soil, the superficial heart, those who profess faith in the gospel but later repudiate it because of hardships or hostility to the gospel. The thorny soil, the worldly heart, those who profess faith in the gospel but never repented of their sin. The good soil, the receptive heart, those who genuinely repented of their sin and believe the gospel. My friends, again, we must declare the gospel of the kingdom far and wide. Every type of soil or heart hears the gospel, but let's remember not every heart receives the gospel. Indeed, out of the four, only one heard and understood the gospel. That is, they received salvation by genuinely repenting of their sin and believing the gospel. Only one out of the four became a kingdom citizen. Furthermore, the genuineness of the repentance and faith is demonstrated by their fruitfulness. The other three soils, the other three hearts produce no fruit, no work. Remember the rejection, the lack of genuine faith or genuine repentance is the fault of the soil, not the sower nor the seed. A word about the human heart. Every heart is redeemable, but not every heart will be redeemed. Redemption, friends, comes down to a choice. It is not that God chooses who will or will not be redeemed. Instead, redemption is a matter of who will believe. Dr. John MacArthur says, Although every human heart is naturally sinful and hostile towards God, every human heart is also capable of being redeemed. There is no such thing as a naturally unredeemable heart. If a person is not saved, it is because he does not want to be saved. 
The one who comes to me, Jesus says categorically, I will certainly not cast out. Every person could receive the seed of the gospel and participate in its life if he believed. Friends, let's remember the promise of Psalm 126, verse 6. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Believers, we must be sowers of the gospel seed. Let's take the seed bag. Let's go forth. Let's spread the gospel seed far and wide. While there will be much weeping because of the hard soil, the rocky soil, and thorny soil, the ministry of sowing will not end in weeping. There will be much rejoicing for the seed sown upon the good soil. There will be an abundant harvest, and those believers who have faithfully sowed the gospel seed during the spiritual aspect of the kingdom will enter the physical aspect of the kingdom, and praise God, we will bring many sheaves, we will bring many bundles of wheat with us. We will come bringing many other believers with us. And let's praise God for that. Let's pray. Father, our Creator, Redeemer, and King, We come into your presence to bring our petitions to you through the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world. We praise you as the infinite one. In your omniscience, you set down a plan to establish your earthly kingdom on earth. In eternity past, Father, you knew your kingdom would be rejected. You hid information about that kingdom plan until your son, the king of the kingdom, came. Father God, we praise you for choosing to reveal those mysteries to us, your son's bride, the church. And I pray that your spirit would continue to reveal to us those mysteries and their meanings. Father, forgive us for our failure of sowing seed, sowing the gospel. Renew within us a desire to spread that gospel far and wide. Father, we pray that the gospel seed would fall upon good soil. We pray for good soil for receptive hearts. And we praise you for allowing us to plant that seed and water that seed. But Father, we petition you to provide for us a harvest. May we come into your kingdom rejoicing. May we come into your kingdom, bringing many with us. And to you be all the glory, we pray. Amen.